electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. And welcome to Fast Money, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan in for Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, it is a big week for retail earnings with some of the biggest names in the biz set to report. So what stock should you be adding to your investor shopping cart? We've got answers. Plus, call it a home builder, home run. Investors buying into the builders big time. But could a wild card derail that run? Look at that chart. That's a thing of beauty. And later, maybe call it the Home Depot or Target of Pot. What's got this stock lighting up to the tune of an 80% gain in just three days? Wow, a lot to do, but we're going to begin with these red-hot markets and their quest for higher ground. Because investors keep on investing. But it wasn't quite just enough for the S&P 500 closing just shy of a new record, four points off to be exact. But believers, they keep on believing. And Goldman Sachs raising its target for the index to a new Wall Street high of 3,600. So as the world keeps on turning, Guy Adami, will these markets ever get to higher ground? <laughs> Brian, welcome back. It's great. Not that I don't see you, but it's great to hear your voice Again, doing yeoman's work. And I'm upset, a little upset that we didn't play the Stevie uh, Wonder version. We played the, uh, to your point, the Chili Peppers per- chili version. Peppers. Chili Peppers. But, you know, yeah, Chili Peppers. But, you know, I know you know this, Brian, but Flea apparently is a huge Fast Money fan. So shout out to the Flea, who, as you know, is a more you know. So to answer your question, Brian, I mean, why not? I mean, 3,600 in the S&P is about that, 5.5% from here. Market seems to go up a percent every day today, notwithstanding. So it's reasonable. You know, I think people feel that with the Fed at their back, uh, every piece of bad news is digested by the market. Why not? With that said, and it's funny, you know, when last time we really talked in earnest, one of the things that I was concerned about was bond market volatility. And I was hoping that it would taper down. And for a long time, it did. But I'm telling you, and we've seen it over the last couple of weeks, bond market volatility is back. And the last time it was back in this kind of way, uh, it didn't sort of augur well for the broader market. So we'll see. And I mention that because a week or so ago, 10-year yields were below 51 basis points, and they traded either side of 70 basis points in about a week's time. That's a pretty significant move, Brian. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it has been. Uh, Tim Seymour, the, the Goldman note, you had RBC kind of thrown in the towel, raising their targets as well from a macro level. It fears, feels like the bears have just been chased off. Are you worried at all that the strategists now are kind of doing like sell-side analysts, kind of right. tripping over themselves to go higher and higher on these forecasts? 
Well, and, and yes, welcome back, Brandon. It's great to have you on. And I, as far as I'm concerned, this is a combination of if you also have looked at the, the Citibank uh, fear euphoria in or, yeah, the fear euphoria index this morning, we're at extreme euphoria. So the, the level, uh, I think, of complacency in the market, if you look at the VIX, I talked about that. I mean, you have dynamics here where uh, Goldman rushing out to 3,600. If you read the fine print, Goldman's always uh, a report you want to read, frankly. Uh, Mr. Costin's a guy that I think, you know, people want to hear. But one of his key points is that the plunging risk-free rate is part of just the mechanical dynamic for valuing stocks and why he can 170 times 2021, and again, we're looking all the way out there, uh, he can get to $170 a share in earnings on the S&P. I think it's, it's very important to know. He also says that uh, break-even inflation expectations have remained largely the same uh, while rates have gone this lower. I, I'm not so sure about that. And inflation is something that has me concerned. But, yes, I, I do think strategists have some pressure to upgrade the market. And, and Karen, I'm going to ask you to put your professor's hat on as well, because I'm going to read something from the Goldman note. And you can explain to the audience what they mean by that, because it has to do with bond yields. Costin writes this okay, on net, the equity is. risk premium has increased. But the fall in bond yields remains the effective cost of equity is unchanged. What does that mean in layman's terms? Right. So a, a treasury bond, which is viewed as riskless, has a rate of return, an interest rate, and it's very, very small right now. And then equities, which are riskier investments, there's no guarantee, those have an equity risk premium. So those should get some higher um, return. And so he's saying the equity risk, risk premium you know, it's, it's, it's um, going higher, which is normally bad for stocks, because the other rates are so low, that's leaving stocks levitating where they are. Or maybe even going higher, I think he goes on to say, that if that equity risk premium falls, then, then multiples will be even higher. I don't know. Was that too wonky? Was that professorial? I don't know. No, I'm going to attend your class. But I, okay. Yeah, so well, that, and, virtual, and that's an so interesting virtual point. virtual learning. <laughs> so it's an interesting point that he makes. I mean, I can't really argue with it, even though I look at some multiples of some things and I think this is insane. We're going to revisit this in one day and think, how did we ever think that was good um, or that, that there was value there? But um, I mean, with the Fed here, I, I think they're, they're going to be here. So that is somewhat of a floor. But I agree with Tim. I'm concerned about inflation. I have bets on that that will hopefully benefit when there is inflation. We saw CPI really hot last week. PPI was hot. So I think we're going to see more of that. And that 10-year reverse, the, the uh, rally in the 10-year, I think we're going to see that reverse. And hopefully that'll be good for banks. Quickly, before we go to Dan, follow up on your own point. What are those inflation bets? Are you buying Treasury inflation protected securities, better known as TIPS? How do you bet on inflation outside, maybe buy gold? All right, I will go to Dan. Dan, before we get back to Karen on that, on that inflation trade, you know, I guess this idea is very simple. It's like a house, right? If mortgage rates go down, you spend more money on your home because your monthly payment. It seems like Costin and Goldman are arguing that same idea, that it's cheap on interest rates, so stocks are not as expensive relative to their risk premium. But you're not having a monthly cost with stocks. Do you right. buy this argument? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got I 
I got you. So here's the thing, Brian. Okay, at the end of the day, to get rates this low, we've had to tack on trillions and trillions of dollars onto the Fed's balance sheet. There's never really going to meaningfully raise rates again. All you have to do is look at the 20-year history of the U.S. Treasury yield. It's gone from 6.5% to where it is right now at 68 basis points. It's not really going to go meaningfully higher here. So the, the, the risk premium that you're talking about, this risk-free rate in Treasuries, okay, fine. Look at the deficits that we're just having to kind of rack up here to get him here. And then I would point you to Japan, okay? I mean, I know that Guy was trading Japanese JGBs back in the day in the 80s when it was all the rage. But here's the thing. Since rates have been going, you know, from the upper left to the bottom right in Japan for 20 years, it hasn't been good for their equity markets until just about uh, just very recently. So to me, you know, that note speaks to me. And I didn't read it. Um, I know it's in my inbox. um, But it's different this time. And I'm not so certain it's going to be that different. And then the negative effects of just just the global central banks ranking on, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars in debt to just keep risk assets afloat doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense in the long term, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it really is. And we showed the chart of the JGB's Japanese government bond. Bond yields have gone down 98 percent over 20 years in Japan. Karen, I'll quickly go back to that follow-up. You said you were betting on inflation. What kinds of bets are those? Um, well, there. I mean, Bitcoin has definitely some part of an inflation bet that just fiat currency is out of control, so I am long Bitcoin. Stocks in general actually do better in inflation. Um, so that um, a, a, a yield curve that steepens because of inflation, that would be good, which is banks. We obviously saw the opposite of that today. But those are the kind of bets. And then a lot of consumer products, those will do better in inflation if they can raise their prices higher than their costs go up. Well, it's a perfect segue to our next guest. And by the way, Karen, congrats to you and other Bitcoin holders. Bitcoin up $530 today. It was the biggest percentage mover of any of the major asset classes. So congrats on that. All right. Well, it's a good segue because even with markets near record highs, your next guest sees opportunity everywhere from big tech to retail. But you got to be smart about the stocks you're buying. Jason Snipe is principal at Odyssey Capital Advisors, where he manages money mostly for retail clients. Jason, it's great to have you on the program. You've got a bunch of picks for us. Before we get to individual names necessarily, I want to ask you this. Followed up on that conversation we just had. One of your picks is a P&G, Procter & Gamble. Are you more willing to pay a 20 or 25 or 30 multiple for a P&G because interest rates are low? Because that's on a macro level what Goldman just argued is happening with the entire market. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, absolutely. I think for us, the weakness in the dollar and, and looking at some of the multinationals and companies like P&G and Colgate, where there's just a lot of demand for consumer products, and particularly a P&G is a name that we've recently added with doing over 50 percent of their business overseas. We just see it as a long-term opportunity and a place that, that there will be some growth because we do think the dollar will remain weak uh, for some time. And you must, as part of your thesis on a PNG, maybe even a Costco, another name you like, is that weaker dollar that Karen talked about as well? Is that part of your macro thesis? Absolutely. I think that that's really the driver and catalyst behind, you know, adding some of these multinational names over the last couple of weeks and kind of what the Fed has been doing 
um, over the last several months. So we, we, we see opportunity there. We see demand for those products, the grocers, and you know, obviously the uh, consumer demand for, for obviously the cleaning products that P&G sales, sells. So I think, there, I think there is an opportunity, and that is, that's a large part of our thesis. We've got more on the home builders coming up. So I don't want to steal too much from that, Jason, but DR Horton is one of your picks. We just showed it up 55%. I mean, the home builders are just on fire, even as the price of lumber is at record highs. In other words, their input costs, we talked about inflation, are going up. At some point, do you start to trim the DR Hortons of the home builders, or are you confident this run can continue? This is a great question. I think that the home builder numbers, I looked this morning and saw how you know, the, the, what the home builder sentiment looked like, which is tremendous. Um, DR Horton, we, as we look at this migration, you know, the slow migration from some of the urban centers to, to you know, the suburban, you know, cities across the country. Um, yeah, we, we, we see opportunity there. I think, I think they will continue to grow. Now, I think they might slow down heading into the winter months as the, as the, uh, purchasing season starts to slow, but I do think there's opportunity there for the long term, particularly as well in a low interest environment. Dr. Horton, Costco, PNG, Jason Snipe, Odyssey Capital Advisors. Jason, great to have you on Fast Money. We'll see you again soon. I hope. Take care. Thank you. All right, let's trade this. Tim Seymour first. Go to you. What do you make of Jason's picks? Anyone stick out more than any others? Well, I think, you know, we're going to we're going to talk about retail in a bit. I, I do think that the retail sector is a place where a lot of people have underestimated both the earnings power, especially for the haves in the post-COVID-19 world. But, you know, if you look at the XRT, believe it or not, uh, on a one-year basis, not just, you know, through the crisis, it's outperformed the S&P uh, by, you know, almost 16 percent. I mean, that's something people don't understand. So um, I do think you're going to continue to see uh, some of those plays in the retail sector, which are, are advantaged by both the stay-at-home uh, the, the home upgrades. I mean, the home builders market, we, we, we talk about these secular trends all the time. We talk about low interest rates. We talk about uh, the, the millennials are actually buying that fixer upper. There was a special on CNBC about that today. Those themes are very much intact uh, and they play into uh, all the companies that are sur- you know, certainly surrounding the home improvement trade. Karen? Yeah, I, I agree with that one, actually. And, I mean, good for Jason for owning P&G. I wouldn't have owned it for I don't know how many points. Um, but, you know, it continues to be a beneficiary of all the things you said, the weak dollar, and, you know, the consumer wants their product. So good for him for owning that. I, too, I like the home builder space and related a lot. I think a lot of macro is setting up well, and it was undersupplied coming into the pandemic. And you had so many factors of rush to, to the suburbs and um, very, very low interest rates. Probably the, the labor shortage that housing was facing is probably better now as well. So a lot of things to like. Not that they haven't moved. They have, but I still like a lot of the space. Yeah, and Procter & Gamble, Brian, excuse my phone going off. It's, you know, I understand if people love Procter & Gamble, but understand that Procter & Gamble is expensive given its history, and it's, it's expensive to the market valuations at some point do matter, and you really don't have the earnings growth to back it up. So, you know, although people are piling into P&G and that stock continues to go higher and make new all-time highs, understand that this is not cheap by any, uh, by any measure whatsoever. And at a certain point, valuations are going to matter, not only for Procter & Gamble, but for the broader market as well. Yeah, Dan, quickly on that, I mean, you heard Jason talk about the weaker dollar theme. If rates keep going down to your previous point, the dollar keeps going down, do we 
do we give a you know what about valuations? Can you own a PNG? They make Swiffer at 30 times earnings. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, we were already ready to pay 22, 23 times for some of these staples, some of these dominant retailers like a Walmart, something like that. I mean, so I look at a, a consumer staple like Coca-Cola, which has been really much, much uh, hit harder than some of its other staple peers. This stock, you know, to me, has been a massive laggard. I think you get this thing above 50 over the next few months, especially if the dollar keeps going down, interest rates wow. stay really low. This could be a decent catch-up trade, 3.5% dividend yield. And we know that this is a very unique hit, the COVID, the lockdown situation to Coke. And at some point, if they're going to discount valuations on every other company that has been hit by this or ones that are actually winning the pandemic, at some point, I would expect to see money flow into a name like Coca-Cola. All right, there you go. Kale on Coca-Cola. All right, well, Jason Snipe just talked about P&G and Costco, one massive retailer, one massive company who sells to massive retailer. And this is a massive week for retail earnings. So we thought it'd be a great idea to play a little would you rather. Everybody ready? Here we go. All right. Dan, we'll start it off with you. Let's kick off Walmart, Target. Which one would you rather? Yeah, so I, I, listen, I like both of them. I like both of them into the prints. We've been talking about these names for the last month or so. I think Walmart's breakout today is pretty important. It reports tomorrow morning. Um, listen, you know, I, I think you might be disappointed in what they have to say or don't have to say about their Amazon Prime subscription service, the co- competition, Walmart Plus. It's been pushed out a little bit, but I see that as a really good catalyst and a good opportunity for this company to kind of grow into that valuation. So to me, I like Walmart here breaking out or even tomorrow on a little bit of a pullback. Karen, would you rather target Walmart? I, well, I'm torn because I agree with Dan, so that's a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> but I agree with everything he's saying on Walmart. I like the subscription. I like them really going on offense. I think they're trying to turn you know, the, um, the massive customer inflow that they had um, from COVID into a more permanent, not just temporary, so good for them for doing that. They also have more multinational exposure, which I think is probably a good thing in this market. So I am completely aligned with Dan. All right. There we go. Completely aligned. I'm not sure we've heard that in a long time. All right. Next up, a look at the home <laughs> improvement space. Tim Seymour, are you ready? Would you rather, well, pretty much the only two names, Home Depot or Lowe's? You know, Brian, I, I, I would rather Home Depot, and this has been a very interesting trade to, to do as a pairs trade for the last year, because if you look at where we were, uh, or, you know, December into uh, the bottom of the market from, uh, say, March 13 to March 17, Home Depot outperformed Lowe's by about 33%. Uh, from the bottom, Lowe's has crushed Home Depot by about 30%. Uh, if you look at that pairs trade and that spread, uh, it actually looks like it's inflecting now uh, to be more in favor of Home Depot. Remember, Home Depot traditionally has traded at a two or three turn premium uh, to, to Lowe's. And for good reason. I, I think they had made investments in online. They had made investment into their professional business uh, in advance of some of that turn at Lowe's. I think now is the time to be in Home Depot. I think both of these stocks will continue to run. But if you're playing it on a pairs basis, um, the outperformance at Home Depot, I think, is just picking up steam again. Uh, and I like that entire trade. Guy, would you rather agree with Tim or disagree? I would rather agree with Tim, which means I would rather Home Depot. And, you know, to Tim's point, Lowe's, which was obviously a laggard, has absolutely caught up. It hasn't caught up in terms of valuation, but I don't think it necessarily should. 
To Tim's point, I think Home Depot should trade at a premium valuation. The catch-up trade has happened already. I would rather Home Depot. And by the way, on the prior would you rather, I would much rather Target. But that's something uh, I've been steadfast on for a while. So there you go. There you go, Brian. Well, we're not done yet. We're going to stick to retail. And another big name, you got Kohl's versus the parent company of TJ Maxx. Now, Karen, they're not the same company, not the same model. We get that. But TJX or KSS, would you rather? I would rather, speaking my book, I am long TJX. I'm definitely not long Kohl's. So I know uh, TJX had a very nice run in the last uh, week or so, but... Um, the sort of reopening problems have slowed down the momentum that uh, TJX, I think, would have had. But I still believe in the model. I think the management's fantastic. Plus, they are going to have so much supply. So the raw material cost for them, the goods they're going to sell, are going to be very, very cheap. So I like TJX, and I don't particularly like Kohl's. I think they're really in a challenged position. Um, better than some other department stores, but TJX I like by a lot. All right, TGX wins the battle of Would You Rather. All right, coming up, too big to own. Investors bailing on the banks today and really all year. At what point did it become good value for you? We're going to find out coming up. But before that, nothing semi about it. NVIDIA in full-on rally mode. As one Wall Street firm sees a 10% jump ahead. We're going to bring you the who's and the why's on NVIDIA right after this. We're just getting started. A lot more fast money still ahead. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Well, if you're worried that your kids are going to be playing too many video games or they're, you know, supposed to be learning virtually, at least maybe you can make some money off it. Susquehanna says that weaker expectations for NVIDIA combined with a new gaming unit coming out in the second half of the year should drive shares higher. In fact, Susquehanna's got a new street high $540 target on NVIDIA boosted from $450. This note also comes amid rumors that NVIDIA may be set to take over SoftBank's arm holdings tim your thoughts on that note and nvidia as an investment yeah I, first of all i think nvidia continues to defy valuation and and there's a reason for it and it's because they've been in the most uh high profile and dynamic part of the chip space around graphics gaming um and 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 even data center so i mean data center i think continues to be kind of a backbone here i, I do think this acquisition makes a lot of sense for the company arm is certainly from a uh, from an it and an ip perspective involved in 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 all of the chip processing and i think it's it's a deal where with the stock at these levels why wouldn't they um i think the valuation is challenging but i think uh again nvidia really has the pole position in some the hottest sectors in the chip space. Dan, your take? Yeah, I, I take issue with the thought that expectations are low heading into the print. Obviously, the stock is up 6% today on the heels of this note, but it's also up 
I don't know, 100% on the year, 160% from its March lows. Yes, earnings are growing 35% this year, 40% sales growth or so uh, in the middle of a pandemic. That's phenomenal. But to Tim's point, trading at 60 times, it seems a little aggressive. This is a $300 billion market cap company. I just want to put that in some perspective. Intel is a $200 billion market cap company with $75 billion in sales. NVIDIA may do $15 billion in sales. So 5X the sales of Intel. It is an expensive chip stock. They should use their currency. They do have a good balance sheet. Everything seems to go their way right now. Um, but investors are going to start pricing in a massive deceleration in earnings and sales growth next year and the year after. So an acquisition of ARM makes sense to me. You, you know, Guy, Dan points out the stock is up 109% year to date. It's up 210% over 12 months. I mean, do you still take a chance betting on a stock that, I mean, a lot of people who were smarter 12 months ago made a bunch of coin on? I mean, is this the time to be buying? Maybe so. I don't know. I, I don't think so. I actually, and again, and I thought this with AMD as well, by the way. So we were bullish AMD into the print. I thought you'd take profits into the number. That proved to be incorrect because you saw that huge move to the upside post earnings. But like NVIDIA, it's had a ridiculous move trading at 50 times next year's numbers. I mean, I, I take the same umbrage that Dan takes in terms of uh, the stock. I mean, I think so much has been priced into this name as well. And people forget, go back to the fall of 2018, when this stock went from about $230 a share to $125, $130, seemingly overnight. I obviously, it wasn't overnight, but you understand what I'm saying. The stock does go down, and it has gone down in the past. So if you've enjoyed the move to the upside in this name, Number one, good for you. Number two, we have been talking about it in a bullish capacity. But I think the prudent thing to do is to take some money off the table into this number because the risk reward at this point doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me, at least. You know, Karen, I'm not only a substitute host of this program, but I'm also a client. Fast money. And when I hear all these conversations at night, almost every one of your conversations lately, it starts with, well, I know valuations are high, and it feel like at some point maybe they maybe they will matter. And, and Nvidia may just be the poster child for that. But Susquehanna clearly doesn't believe it. I, I agree with the, the guys here. It's too expensive. I do think it matters at some point, and I, for me, it matters now. I couldn't buy it, even though they're great. But I, you know, valuations in the sixty times? No, not for me. Somebody smarter. Yeah, fourth best performing stock in the NASDAQ 100 over the past year behind Tesla, DocuSign, and Moderna. All right, coming up, should you bail on the big banks or will investors eventually be bailed out? We're going to fire up the financials coming up. Plus, Jeff Bezos apparently has his heads in the clouds. He reportedly looks to make a major investment in one cloud computing company, and it may not be a name that you think, but we'll reveal it coming up. Picture this, you're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. 
Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Will investors withdrawing from big banks this session? Heck, they've been doing it pretty much all year. Financials, the worst performing sector on the day, dropping nearly 2%. Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup down 2.5%, Dan. You've been and continue to point out the very weak sentiment around this group. Is there any sign that you see that it will turn? I see no sign. And, you know, this goes back to the conversation, Brian, that we had at the start of the show about interest rates. When you think about, you know, there's some people who think it's un-American if you were to say that rates are going to stay low or possibly even go lower. Um, I just don't see how they rise at any time soon. And I think the banks have been telling you that all year long. I like to look at J.P. Morgan, obviously best of breed here. Um, I know some of the other panelists own this stock and they have for a while. This stock is still down 30 percent from its all-time highs made on January 2nd. It has made a series of higher lows, but let me tell you, that rally that it just had from the July lows that it just failed at is half of what it had from the May lows to the June um, highs here. I, I just see waning momentum in these things. I do not see anything really building. And if rates go lower and they go back to that 51 bips or possibly the March 9th low of 31 bips, banks are going to go down hard with it. And I also think that they're just telling you a very different story. You have the winners on the pandemic uh, on the side of just anything recurring tech cloud. But the banks, I think, are really reflective of what's going on in Main Street here. Yeah, they might be, Karen. I mean, listen, we know J.P. Morgan is a favorite of yours. I know you own the stock as well. It's held up better than most. I guess the idea is to buy low and sell high or sell buy high and sell higher. Some point, these stocks maybe become a, a better value. Well, I'm long them now, right now, so I think they're a good value right now. I think that sentiment is really bad. There's no question. You don't love seeing... Uh, Certainly not seeing Warren Buffett, you know, decrease his stake in J.P. Morgan, although he was buying Bank America. I think part of the reason banks were down today was that yield move, but the 10-year yield move. But I think that, you know, people are really concerned with how bad the credit quality is going to be, how big the losses are going to be. I totally understand that. But I think they are also underestimating the power of these banks to reserve, continue reserving in a very big way and still make money which will set them up well, I think, you know, when we get to their next quarter's earnings and people start to look to 2021, I think that you will see banks do much better because I think you're going to see that they're going to have their, uh, yeah. the balance sheet and the reserves for the losses. Guy Adami, I'm going to quote the great Guy Adami to Guy Adami, which is that maybe Mr. Buffett's sale of <laughs> Wells Fargo is less an indictment of the bank and more of a boost to Barrick Gold, which he ostensibly maybe not bought with the same money, but you get my point. Yeah, I, I listen, that's what I absolutely, well, I think it because I said it and you quoted it, so I must be right. I guess that's somewhat <laughs> circular, but I think, people are, I, I think people are missing a pretty big story here. I mean, whether it was Warren Buffett did it himself or, you know, some of the, the people on his team and, and people will say, well, a Buffett for you in the gold today is not the same as it would have been five or six years ago. I get all those arguments, but my sense is he signed off on this. And I think it's a pretty huge endorsement of what's going on and the fact that the world is a wash in fiat currencies. And now Mr. Buffett and the people at Berkshire Hathaway see that and they're putting their money to work in a barrack gold 
I think speaks volumes as to what's going on. Again, not necessarily an indictment of the banks, more so an endorsement of what he's seeing. And I think people better wake up to see the fact that the gold market, although it had a rough couple of days last week, as did silver, I am of mm -hmm. the belief this is just getting started and Mr. Buffett is backing up those beliefs. Tim, your take? Yeah, I, I think what's really interesting here, uh, I don't know if you have to connect uh, his, his movement in banks and his trade here in gold, but Barrick, um, you know, this kind of a move for, for Mr. Buffett, I think, is really important to understand. Um, this is an improving balance sheet. It's been a long time since we've been able to talk about any miners in the world and, and say that actually it's a, uh, it, it could be positive net cash at some point, but they've got $1.4 in net debt. They may do $1.7 in free cash flow in the next 12 months. Uh, they had $3.6 in debt uh, a couple of years ago. Freeport Max, similar story, what we're seeing with a lower dollar. Um, but, but again, if you look at what's going on with Barrick uh, and what's going on with gold prices, depending on where you want to be, and, and you know, if you read some of the notes on the street, at least they give you some scenario analysis. If you want to put a $2,200 uh, price per ounce on gold, uh, and then you throw in eight times on, on, on Barrick, this is a 48 to $50 stock. Um, I'm not sure you're supposed to do that here, but if you listen to what everyone else is saying and you see what's going on with gold prices, I think this makes sense. So, again, it's a balance sheet play. It's a net free cash flow play. Uh, and then it's a hedge of sorts. I don't know that this is necessarily that banks are bad trade. Uh, I think it's independent of that. Yeah. Oh, good stuff there. Listen, really interesting on Barrick as well. And a good point. Barrick had a heck of a day as well. So congrats to those owners. If you own gold and Bitcoin, today was your day. Go to a restaurant, socially distance, or sit outside. All right, coming up, we're going to raise the roof on the home builders. They're on fire today. The sector hitting a new all-time high. But is it? have you missed it if you're not in it? We're going to talk more about that. And later, Occidental Petroleum tanks. But one options trader sees a bit of a possibility for a rally ahead on this really beaten down oil and gas name. What's the trade? We're going to let you know. A lot more to do. Stick around. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Amazon possibly looking to take a minority stake in newly public rack space, sending shares of the cloud computing up as much as 15% today. They ended up more than 10%. One of the things that Rackspace does is help clients migrate their data to, you guessed it, AWS, Amazon Web Services. Rackspace up 11 from its first true trades two weeks ago, but still lower than its IPO price of $21. So what do you make of the potential timing of this potential deal, Karen. Very curious since, I mean, how long have they been public? Maybe two weeks. And remember, 21 was the offering price, but I think the original price, they were hoping the range would be something higher than that. And they had to downsize it and lower the price. And even after that, it opened really poorly and traded really poorly all until now. It makes me wonder if Amazon had conversations with them prior to the IPO but couldn't agree on price. And the company said, you'll, you know, you'll see, we'll go public and, you know, you'll have to pay more. That, if that happened, didn't work out that way. So Amazon's kind of in the catbird seat. The only negative I can see is not only do they service AWS, of course, but, but Google and Azure and others. But I think it's really interesting. I think, you know, up a, you know, not quite two bucks on potentially really big news. Um, that kind of has my eye. That's interesting. Yeah. Tim? I, I think it's actually very interesting, as, as you point out, that Karen, that, that uh, you know, they, they have customers that are also major competitors in the cloud. 
to, to Amazon. So, uh, you know, a, a 11.9, I think, percent stake is what's being discussed. Um, the fact that, uh, yeah, I, I think AWS growth uh, was uh, under the spotlight and not the stellar part of this last blockbuster blowout by Amazon, uh, I think, is, is somewhat related. So, look, I, I think the migration to AWS is a very important part of the infrastructure. We've seen Amazon has uh, uh, taken a more vertical approach to uh, their core businesses and building infrastructure around them. That's what they do. Um, I, I would stay close to this name. If Amazon cares, I'd probably care. All right. Good point there, Tim. Thank you very much. All right. Coming up, shares of Occidental Petroleum falling today, but options traders are betting on a possible turnaround for the energy stock. We'll explain why when Fast Money returns. All right, check out shares of Occidental Petroleum slammed to start the week down 5% today. Warren Buffett, you may have heard of him, he helped finance the big Anadarko deal, selling shares of Oxy according to SEC filings. He's obviously not the only one. That stock down a whopping 66% this year. But over in the options market, one intrepid trader just bet half a million dollars that the oil stock is about to get re-energized. Mike Coe has the action on options action on Oxy. Mike. Hey, Brian. So Occidental traded over 90,000 contracts a day. That's more than two times the 37,000 or so call contracts it typically averages over the last 20 days. The most active contracts were the November 16 and 20 strike calls. And the trade you were just alluding to was a big one that we saw earlier in the day, where about 8,000 by 12,000 of the 16 and 20 strike calls traded respectively for about 60 cents per contract. That's on the smaller of those legs. And I think that when we look at this situation, obviously the stock's in dire trouble. It's been behaving very badly. It's possible that buyers of calls here are speculating that now that some of that selling pressure has been lifted because Buffett has exited his position, that there may be some upside. But using calls is a hedged way to make a bullish bet. So they are still indicating that there's some risk to the downside as well. Okay, so bullish bet with a little bit of hedge there to make sure. Mike, thank you very much. Guy, your thoughts on Occidental here? Levered plays are dangerous. Obviously, they work for you in great times. They can obviously work against you. And Mr. Buffett liquidated close to 19 million shares. is probably a lot of the reason the stock moved today. And to that Occidental and a Darko point, I think there was a journal article a week or so ago pointing out some of the negative ramifications on the back of it. I will point out that J.P. Morgan just upgraded the name and left a $19 price target. They upgraded it on valuation. So I think you have a lot to take in here. If you're at the $100 table, the risk-reward in a levered energy name like this could set up really well. But understand that this has been, you know, what we term in the business a widowmaker for the last year or so. It's been tough, down far more than any of the big cap stocks in oil and gas. Dan, Nathan, your take either on the options trade Mike laid out, the stock, or both. Yeah, so just real quickly, this stock has obviously was trading as high as 45 earlier uh, in the last 12 months down here at 14 bucks. I think the trade that Mike laid out is a really good way to get some bullish exposure. If you think that there is um, just some any reason to be long this thing up to that J.P. Morgan target over the next few months, you're defining your risk and there's a lot of leverage in that trade. That being said, the trade, the stock acts absolutely horrible. There is a massive, massive pile of debt that's multiples to its market cap and the earnings hole in this past year is just massive. So to me, um, you know, I would be defining my risk if I was looking to be contrarian and make a bullish bet. 
All right, good stuff there on Occidental. For more options action, of course, everybody, be sure to tune into the full show, which is every Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't need to tell you that. You know that by now. Coming up, one pot stock lighting up in a big way today. We'll tell you what's behind the blazing hot rally in Grogen. Stick around. All right, to paraphrase one of the 10 greatest bands of all time, The Who, we're going to wrap up the show by talking about Grow Generation. Shares of GRWG <laughs> soaring, not just today, but up 295% this year. Tim, I knew you'd like the music reference. I know you love the stock's performance. Are you selling in any strength? Uh, the, the Who are actually in the top three. Um, so GrowGen, just to be clear, this is the largest position in my ETF after running up, and I actually had to sell down a little bit today, um, and it's also a position I have in my hedge fund. So uh, like this stock, like this company for a long time, it's become uh, kind of an institutional play, yet yeah, it's an $800 billion market cap after doubling in the last three weeks. So it's not a massive stock, but it is traded on the NASDAQ. It is institutional. What do they do? Uh, you know, you can argue that they're the Home Depot of, of cannabis. They're the largest hydroponics retailer uh, in an industry that's high fragmented. Uh, they are growing same-store sales, you know, 49% surprise people way to the upside. And they're also buying stores. And, and there's an organic build, and there's also uh, some ability to actually consolidate within the industry. Profitable company at a time when they have both a, a wholesale and a retail business at a time when the industry is booming. So it's a very well-run company. Our friend Bob Nardelli, actually, who you know, ran Home Depot, sits as an advisor to this company. It's a, it's a name that I, I like a lot. And yes, I own it. Tim, I got a question for you. Is this, you know, can consumers buy us? Yes. Is this kind of a buy online, pick up in store? I'm just asking, you know, for a friend. <laughs> uh, this is something that actually, first of all, they don't touch the plant per se. Um, that's why it trades on the NASDAQ, and it's why it's actually a choice for a lot of folks that are looking for more ancillary picks and shovels plays. But uh, they are well positioned with the biggest multi-states, the biggest operators, and then also some of the people that actually just might be asking for a friend. Good stuff there on Grow And a strong call, by the way. Top three band, the Who. We could debate that, but not today. By the way, speaking oh, yeah. of Grow Generation, here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Because do not miss the CEO's interview with Jim tonight on Mad Money, moments away at 6 p.m. Eastern time. All right, it is time now for the final trade. Let's go around the horn and kick it off, Tim, with you. Yeah, I think you stay with this home improvement trade, and I think you stay with Home Depot. I, what a well-run company, a place where I think margins are moving higher, and certainly I think valuation deserves to be moving higher. Well, meaty, beady, big and bouncy call there. Karen. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stick with the girl that brought me, Walmart. We'll see tomorrow how well they've done, but I, I, I think Amazon gave us an idea, and their international exposure should help. So Walmart. Dan. Yeah, keep, keep a close eye on the XLF. I think it's going to break that uptrend from the March lows. And Guy. Toll Brothers into their release on the 25th. All right, thanks for watching. Mad with Jim starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.